This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. You're listening to episode 225 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, June the 4th, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, June 8th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Kenna. I'm Cam. And I'm Jace. All right, Jace, why don't you tell us what we have in store this week? This week, we look to the skies and trek out supermassive black holes, then return home for some quantum theory weirdness. We'll also cover Adam Nimoy's For the Love of Spock documentary that just started its Kickstarter campaign. In STO News, the summer festival is here. We'll hit RISA and also take a more in-depth look at the featured episode, House Peg. Of course, as always, before we wrap things up, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Speaking of hailing frequencies, it's great to receive all your messages. So chat with us during our live stream on Thursday nights at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live. Or answer our community questions by commenting on our website, Facebook.com forward slash Priority One or via Twitter at STO Priority One. Thanks again to all our Patreon supporters that make this show possible from week to week. Because of their support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. Help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page. Alright, let's check out what's happening in deep space. I don't know. Then let's check it out. The Hubble telescope sees black holes plasma beam colliding with matter. 260 million light-years away, a supermassive black hole is firing its jets of super-energized plasma at 98% of the speed of light. Scientists have been observing the galaxy NGC 3862 for nearly 20 years. Because of that, they have been able to stitch together a time-lapse movie of the plasma jets in action, and they have observed that the jets are leaving their parent galaxy in globs each with about the mass of Jupiter. Recently, they also observed some of the blobs colliding with each other with spectacular results. According to this article, how these jets form is poorly understood, but scientists think magnetic fields around the black hole at the core of the galaxy can concentrate highly energized matter accumulating around the event horizon and spin it off in concentrated beams, bringing it a little closer to home. An experiment confirms quantum theory weirdness, and it is very weird. 
This article is actually a little bit difficult to parse. The basic premise is that reality does not exist if it isn't being observed. Physicists at the Australian National University have come up with an experiment that proves this theory. I really cannot do this article justice. You'll have to read it for yourself. Here are some choice quotes from the article itself. It proves that measuring is everything. At the quantum level, reality does not exist if you are not looking at it. If one chooses to believe that an atom really did take a particular path or paths, then one has to accept that a future measurement is affecting the atom's past. The atoms did not travel from A to B. It was only when they were measured at the end of the journey that their wave-like or particle-like behavior was brought into existence. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to observe it, the tree did not exist. However, if a hitchhiker finds the fallen tree in the future, then it would come into existence. Mind blown. Adam Nimoy, the late Leonard Nimoy's son, recently launched a Kickstarter campaign to fund the production of a new documentary entitled For the Love of Spock. It's a project that Adam conceived with his father with the aim of paying tribute to the character of Spock in time for Star Trek's 50th anniversary. Since Leonard Nimoy's death back in February, the scope of the film has been expanded to include his career outside of Star Trek as well. The film will include interviews with Leonard Nimoy's friends and family and exclusive stills and film clips spanning his career. Zachary Quinto has already signed on to narrate the film, which is expected to be released sometime in 2016. Kickstarter pledges start at $15, and rewards include a variety of Spock-themed memorabilia, most signed by Leonard Nimoy or some of his Star Trek castmates. There are also opportunities for your images to be used in the film. The total goal for this campaign, which ends on the 2nd of July, is $600,000. As of the time of this recording, it has already raised over $100,000. Wow, and that's in the first two days. It's pretty impressive, actually. In fact, when I was writing it up yesterday it was only about 80,000 so it's it's gained that you know overnight it's amazing fantastic i uh, hadn't realized i i only cursorily looked at the article when i saw it posted that uh zachary quinto is narrating which i think is nice yeah i think that's a really nice tribute and it's it's clear that he's really got a sort of emotional vested interest in it as well well, have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? A new advancement in science or tech you'd like us to cover? Send it on over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. We start this week's Stow News coverage with the Laloon Festival. It is upon us, and we finally got full details of the awesome new rewards you'll be able to get by participating in this year's event. Cam will talk about the new Ferengi Nandi warship in a bit, but first let's get into the nitty-gritty about the stuff everyone wants to know about, the new clothing and accessories! Both female and male characters can buy board shorts and Aloha shirts in a variety of new prints, some of which can be customized. Sadly, there's no mention on the blogs regarding Gornkinis, so we may have to wait a while longer for those. Curses. Curses. (laughs) To keep you company on those long Ryza nights, there are new Ryzean Lunarian Caracals. 
They're non-combat pets, though, so please remember to leave them safely with a neighbor or a Starfleet-approved kennel facility while you are away fighting the Iconians. There are new colors of floaters and new power board designs now available in the event store, and there are a couple of special edition boards, too. The first one is the new Klingon Targhog Miniboard. It's shorter, with a higher turn rate and lower traction for the truly daring racer. The second one is in tribute to the great Mr. Spock, a live-long and prosper power board which will be available to all factions. We all love souvenirs, so players of all classes can also earn their way to a special kit module to take home with them. Tactical officers get an assault kit module that hits enemies with a mini Graviton Singularity, causing AoE kinetic damage and slow. Engineering officers get a fabrication kit module that generates a mini hurricane, causing cold and electrical damage as well as knockback. And science officers get a research kit module called Seismic Agitation Field, causing AoE kinetic damage and a chance of knockback. It's just like being caught in a real earthquake. For further details on all the great rewards available in the Lalunet Festival event store, we'll leave a link to the blog post on the webpage for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO225. So now engineering officers will actually be able to rock you like a hurricane? Indeed, yes. I'm pretty excited about that. A mini hurricane. One of my favorite bands. Excellent. So taking a look at this week's patch notes, they are extensive. Last time we joked about that because they were very brief. However, let's talk about some of the highlights. This week they did fix an issue where players who were under level 60 and who chose the specialization point reward from House of Peg lost a spec point when they leveled up. So this will no longer happen, but if you've already experienced this, there is a fix coming shortly to give you back the lost point. They've also added the much-awaited store tab to the event reputation store called Account Reward Claim. So now if you have unlocked any of the event rewards from past events on any of your characters, you can now claim them on all of your characters. You can also now dismiss and reclaim them as needed, which may help some people free up a few more oh-so-valuable ship slots. Yahoo! Very exciting. Hopefully we'll see this with more ships coming down the line. Also, in a pretty nice move that was not expected, when you're upgrading items to the next mark, there will no longer be a completion time. It'll just be done. Once you have loaded in all the necessary research points, click, it's complete. And actually, you'll be able to drag them now straight from a ship slot instead of having to drag it to your inventory first to put it into the upgrade grinder. So those are pretty nice little quality of life fixes, no longer losing your key items for eight hours or whatever at the higher marks. I also believe that there's no longer a dilithium cost to finish now since there's no time. Oh, that makes sense. Additionally, and this was tweeted in between, but it's already live, a more extensive set of color palette options have been added for ship patterns in the ship tailor. So I've already seen some screenshots out there in the wild of this, and it is pretty garish. You can make some pretty wild stuff. I saw an almost all hot pink bird of prey because the pattern that was put on it covered more of the ship's skin surface than the default material. So for those of you who are interested in pimping out your ships, now is the time. And also, as promised by Cryptic Joe Jing on the forums, we have a clown shoe update. Several tailoring fixes went in this patch, but they also updated much of the male footwear to improve not only its skinning and its fit, but also its size. There were several shoe and boot and foot options that were either way too small or more commonly 
much too large for the proportions of the humanoid figure. But I highly encourage everyone this week to check out the release notes for Holodeck. There were many changes made, many fixes, a lot of bugs, and we will actually take a look at one more thing when we get to tracking the devs. So the big story of last week was the release of the new featured episode House Peg. Today we'll be reviewing the episode and discussing what it means for the Iconian War story arc. All hands to battle stations! Spoilers incoming! In this latest episode of the Iconian War, you join an elite team of covert operatives from the secretive House Peg. Your task is to infiltrate an Iconian base in the Denasia system that contains several Omega generators, then sabotage the generators which are fueling the Iconian's gateway network. Once inside the base, you discover that you're not alone in the task. In addition to the captain of the IKS Heg, Ramir, you are joined by the leader of House Peg, Kales himself. He wields the sword of Kales and is determined to help defeat the Iconians. It's a pretty straightforward mission. Fight your way through the Heralds to find the Omega Generators, plant charges, and move on. But halfway through the mission, you discover that one of the Iconians is there on the base, Taket. While you find the final generator, Kalos heads off to fight her on his own. Eventually, you use the Omega Generators to disable Taket and help Kalos to victory until she recovers and kills him. As she orders the Heralds after you, you are forced to transport out, leaving Kalos and the sword behind. On your way out of the system, you fight off waves of Heralds and beat a hasty retreat. The end. So, uh, first thoughts guys, let's talk about the gameplay. What did you think about the mechanics of the episode? Was it fun? Challenging? I enjoyed it. I do find fighting the Heralds somewhat challenging just because I am not very adept at ground combat. I have a decent build, but I don't really know what I'm doing, and I'm often sort of just mashing buttons. And that can be deadly against especially the Harbingers, which you can't really just stand in one place and shoot against. They do too, too much AoE attacking. Yeah, agreed. I, I find it challenging but also really fun i'm not great at ground um i tolerate it but i I get like you i don't really know what i'm doing um i died a lot of times but i didn't mind i still enjoyed it i felt like i was doing something and making progress and i really felt part of the story in this one i did like this is the first time we've seen a harbinger of a different iconian right so their powers are different and we had learned that before but this is the first time we've really seen it yeah i didn't actually have too much difficulty with this um first time i played it on normal today i tried it on advanced maybe next week i'll try it on elite um not to say i'm bad at the ground i i really don't like playing grounds but it really isn't too difficult of a mission one thing i do miss from the other featured episodes that have gone before was inside the mission you had multiple difficulty levels there isn't one in this one. You have to go into your mission tab and just choose a difficulty from that. It wasn't too difficult, and I didn't find it uh, to be too long either. It was a pretty fast mission. Yeah, pretty straightforward, and it didn't didn't feel like you were slogging your way through it, I thought. Mm-hmm. It wasn't overdone. No. Uh, so while we're sort of talking about it, what about replayability? So is this going to be something that's going to be difficult to do three weeks in a row? Will you play it to get all the rewards? Yeah, 
like I said, it's not that difficult. It's a really quick mission, and if you set it at normal and you're you have a halfway decent ground setup, it shouldn't be too much of a problem. It's like a ten minute long mission. Definitely worth doing for the spec point alone. I haven't looked that closely yet at the trait rewards, but I I think uh, at least one of them is something I would use. The space one is pretty interesting. It's a uh, we haven't actually tested it out, but uh, the tooltip says it's a zero to ten percent damage increase from between two kilometers to six kilometers. So yeah, outside you're always trying to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not convinced I'll use uh, the traits that come with it, but probably for completion's sake, I'll get them so that they're available if I want it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about the story just a little bit. Where do you guys think this leaves us in the Iconian War, and how do you think the loss of Kalos and the sword is going to affect how we move on uh, in the war, especially the Klingons. Well, the sword is definitely one of those smoking guns. Like, we're definitely going to see that again come up. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I, I feel like story-wise, it continues the trend that we make minor victories, but mostly are getting pushed around by the Iconians to set set us up for a comeback later on. Speaking of that, this mission is probably... I think it's the only mission that we actually fail. Yeah, technically by the even if you succeed at everything, story-wise, text-wise you fail. Yeah, exactly. And some people complained about that because I mean, we're basically in position, we've been irradiating the Iconian with omega particles, we've got all the charges there, the other two are primed to blow. Like was it really impossible? Is it sort of like the reverse of a Deus Ex Machina? That's a very good question. I mean, why couldn't we just, like, click a button and actually pop those generators on our way out? Right. Well, I guess we wouldn't want to... I don't know. We were manipulating those consoles for quite a while. It seems like maybe a couple of the other members of the group could have run off and done that while we were dealing with Tiket. But overall, I didn't really have a problem with it. No, I think that... um, Because what number is this in the story arc? Are we up... Is this four now or five? So uh, I think it depends on if you count what uneasy allies. Yeah. So, um, but we're we're sort of getting near to what we think is probably the middle of the story arc, and I think this is a good time for there to be a little bit of conflict, a bit of a setback, um, which sets us up to regrouping and then finally getting a a, a good result, hopefully by the time we hit the end. Yeah, I think it's gonna it's gonna turn on what we find out Voyager has been up to in in Krenim space. There were some more hints of that in this episode at the Iconian data consoles. Yeah. Okay, uh, finally, what are your overall thoughts? How would you rate this episode overall? I would give it a 7.5 out of 10. I've been enjoying these episodes generally. I really like the touch of the Klingon song that continued to play as you moved ahead with the mission. I'm not a real nitpicker when it comes to stories. I, I get involved in them and just immersed and enjoy it for what it is and anything else comes afterwards, so... Your immersion? <laughs> immersion! <My> immersion! <laughs> what about you, Kenna? I I would say uh, probably 8 or 9 out of 10, actually. This, for me, was um, pretty close to a perfect episode. I mean, I think where it let me down a little bit, there were some plot holes towards the end. I could see where they were trying to go with the story, but I think there were some things that needed to be tied up a little bit, um, which we already mentioned. Um... I was disappointed. It felt like the Omega thing was broken in the middle. Oh, yeah. I, I Mine bugged out, too. Just like during the Omega event happened sometimes. Mm, so that was uh, mm, realism. weird. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're only supposed to stabilize one particle, and that's it. Well, uh... that's it. I think you are. But because of having done the Omega stabilization in the anniversary event, it, it just... 
it was jarring to me. So they, they <laughs> lose a bit on that. But I would say, yeah, I'll give it a 9 out of 10. Well, one aspect of House Peg that has been mildly controversial, well, at least controversial enough to ignite the forum thread on the episode into flames and merit a brief article on Massively OP on the debate, is the inclusion of a same-sex Klingon couple as two of the House Peg NPCs you interact with briefly at the start of the mission. It merits a note, though, that this couple has actually been part of STO canon since October of 2010. Uh, someone pointed this out online, and so I went back and played Spin the Wheel, which is part of the Spectre's arc. And on the KDF side, you visit Ganalda Station and speak with Belair, who comes with you on the ground team in House Peg. In dialogue, if you express your distrust of Klingon intelligence, she says, Ha! You sound like my mate. She's always worried that one day I'll be exposed as some sort of spy. Of course, you have to play the KDF storyline and read through all the dialogue options to note this, so it's not really that surprising that this was somewhat little known before this character was featured with her mate in a dual faction mission. So again this week, in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PWE and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs, here's the latest comments pulled from the forums, DevTracker, and the Twitterverse. Jeremy Bordicus Randall tweeted about the summer event, We've increased the number of favors rewarded by missions this year. Also reduced the low-buy price of favors. And uh, after I teased him a bit, he elaborated, Prices for existing items are unchanged, and all new items are similarly priced. So it sounds like we'll be getting more bang for our bucks this year. Executive producer Stephen Salami Inferno Ricosa also tweeted a pic with the caption, Your newest environment artist, Scott Boyd, is working on his first task. On screen is what looks a little like a grid-textured planet Saturn, part of some kind of station, domed interior structure for ground. What do you think? Salami also tweeted, Progress. At Bordicus Cryptic shows no mercy to bugs. It's his personal prime directive, and attached a photo of the original server latency hit list of traits and powers that were potential lag culprits, now all crossed off. Alongside it, though, is a new list, longer, and in teeny font, so plenty of work still to be done. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some events to look forward to this coming week. Just in case you didn't already know, the Rysian Lolanut Festival is now on, and it runs through the 16th of July. And this coming weekend is a bonus marks weekend, the 11th through the 15th of June. So queue up your STFs and get ready to finish off all those reputations you've been slacking. That wraps up Star Trek Online news this week. Now let's take a look at the new Ferengi warship in Command School. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. Fall in, cadets. It's time for a new session of Command School. A new summer event has arrived, and with it, a new ship. The Ferengi Nandi Rysian warship T6 has become available. So let's talk a little bit about this new ship. First of all, I want to jump right to the chase and say, for its price, this is currently one of the better ships in the game right now. This opinion is based on the value of the ship compared to its performance curve according to its stats. This ship is a warship. That means it's a destroyer, which is a type of heavy escort with an extra weapon hardpoint. It's comparable to the Breen Shelgret and the Undyne Nikor. While it is very science-heavy, it is not a science ship. And while it has eight weapons, it is not a cruiser. Some basic stats. It's got the same amount of hull HP as a Shelgret, and slightly more than a Nikor. 
It's got a little bit higher shield modifier than both the other ships. It's slower and less maneuverable than the Nykor, and has the same speed as the Shellgret, but a slightly lower turn rate. The older warships also have a higher inertia modifier. Because it's a destroyer, it comes with three device slots. And because it's specifically a warship, it has a 4-4 weapons layout. Now for the nitty-gritty parts. The ship's bridge officer layout is evenly split between tacticals and science seating, with five tactical abilities across two seats, a commander and an ensign, and five science abilities across two seats, a lieutenant and a lieutenant commander. The science lieutenant commander is also a pilot seat. It's extremely light on the engineering side with only a lieutenant engineering seat, but it does have an extra universal seat that I highly recommend being run as an additional engineer. Now one thing that this ship has that no other ship has ever had is a sixth bridge officer seat. For Romulans, that means an extra SRO, superior Romulan operative. For Klingons, it's an extra pirate boff. And for feds, well, I guess you can have an extra efficient boff in there. Because the ship only has five tactical abilities, two of which are ensigns, means that running a successful tactical rotation will be a little tight, or even expensive, more so for Romulans and Klingons who cannot get reciprocity. That means for a basic rotation like Tactical Team, Attack Pattern Beta 1, FA 3, FA 1, and Attack Pattern Omega 3 will require one Zemok and two Hamlets, or two Tactical Team 1s, FA 3, FA 2, and Attack Pattern Beta 3 will require two Zemoks very expensive and does not leave room for chemocyte-laced weaponry. A Fed can run Tactical Team 1, Attack Pattern Beta 1, FA 3, Attack Pattern Omega 3, and chemocyte-laced weaponry 1 with reciprocity, and go without the hundreds of millions of EC worth of DOFs. Here's the cherry on top of the cream of this ship. It's science seating. A very generous five science abilities, two ensigns, two lieutenants, and a lieutenant commander, makes for a very cheesy ship. Most people will want to run with power drain abilities to synergize with the ship's mastery trait, which we'll get into in a few moments. Most ships, escorts, or cruisers run perfectly fine with just two or three science abilities. Having a few more to boot is just icing on the cake for those of us who like cheese. The ship has five tactical console slots for some serious firepower, four science console slots that should be filled with embassy consoles, and only two engineering consoles. The basic build meta others and myself have discussed is five locators, four flow cap plasma burst consoles, plasmonic leech, and assimilated console. This meta might change when people start getting the ship and testing it out. The ship comes with a metaphasic solar capacitor universal console which, at the point of this writing, we don't know very much about. According to the blog, it has a passive bonus to shield healing, shield hardness, and exotic damage. To quote the blog, when activated, the capacitor generates a powerful but temporary metaphasic field. As long as the field is active, it improves shield hardness, all shield healing abilities, and exotic damage significantly. Once this effect expires, it disables the passive benefits from the console for two minutes. Currently unknown, the scale of the passive and active bonuses and the duration of the active buff. Depending on how good the buffs are, it might be a good idea to replace one embassy console with this universal. The ship's mastery trait is called greedy emitters. Now this is a very interesting trait that we also do not have much information on. Again, to quote the blog, while this trait is slotted, 
using Energy Siphon, Tachyon Beam, or Tychon's Rift Science Bridge Officer abilities gives a buff which grants immunity to energy drain, reduces energy weapon power usage, and increases your subsystem power levels for 10 seconds. This buff may be triggered once every 30 seconds. The energy weapon power usage is somewhere between a Mariendorf, which is 8 seconds every minute and a half, and a Nadion Inversion, which is 30 seconds every 3 minutes, unmodified by all hands on deck. The immunity to energy drain is kind of meh in PvE, as not a lot of NPCs will drain your power, but the increase to subsystem power levels is certainly interesting. With the amount of science seating that Nandi has, it should certainly be easy to trigger this every 30 seconds. Again, currently unknown is the scale of the buff. The Nandi can fit the Universal Console from the Decora. And it will transform like the Decora when you activate said console. The ship will also have the Decora's bridge, which has a exchange, a dabble table, a mail and a bank console and it will have access to the hull material from the Decora. All in all, in my opinion, this will be a great ship for its price. Time will tell if Cryptic knocked it out of the park this time with this free event ship, when we actually get our hands on it and test it to its limits. For me, just looking at the stats is enough to give it a tentative 9.5 out of 10. Kenna, Jace, what are your thoughts on the new ship? Well. My preliminary look at the stats, while not as in-depth, definitely had me thinking this was a pretty high-performing ship, especially for an event ship. I mean, some of the other event ships have been pretty nice or supported unusual builds that a lot of other ships maybe are not the best for, but this just seems like a powerful ship. How would you compare it to some of the other most popular powerful ships like a Scimitar? That's a very good question. We were discussing it uh, a little bit earlier today, me and a few friends of mine. Um... And one of them, Tom, to be very specific, pointed out that this ship doesn't really fall that far behind the Scimitar. All the Scimitar has over this ship is its Romulan Battlecloak and its Hangar Pets. That and it's got a fourth device slot. But when you take into account that this ship has four science consoles, as opposed to the Scimitar's three, mm -hmm. that fourth science console kind of negates the extra Hangar Pets that the Scimitar has. As for the Romulan cloak, the battle cloak, it's going to be very, very close. What about you, Kenna? What do you think? Um, I'm looking forward to it. I can't say that I understand all of the stats and what they're going to do as much as, well, you guys clearly do, but I think it looks interesting, and I like trying out new builds, especially with what you said about the starship mastery trait and being better suited to an energy drain build. That's not a build that I have a lot of experience with, so I'll probably try it out um, and see what I can do with it. What I want to know is, what are the guys in the forums going to be saying that it's lacking or it's missing? Okay, I can answer that right away. I already have two predictions for that. The first one, there's going to be a bunch of people coming on the forums and they're going to be screaming, why does it not have a secondary deflector? It's a science ship, why does it not have a secondary deflector? And the second one, there's going to be a whole bunch of people coming onto the forums and screaming, why does it not have cruiser commands? It's a cruiser, why does it not have cruiser commands? <laughs> I'm willing to bet EC that that's going to happen. I've already seen folks uh, wishing that it was a full-blown science ship because we got a basically a cruiser and an escort 
more or less from the previous two years. And, uh, you know, especially with the KDF and the Romulan lacking in science ships uh, at the tier six level, this would have been an opportunity for it. But it's a very cool ship, and I've wanted a Ferengi ship for a long time, but couldn't justify the expense of the Decora because I didn't need it or love it that much. So that brings us to this week's community question. For you listeners, have any of you gotten your hands on the ship early? What are your thoughts? And even if you haven't, what are your opinions about this review and the ship in general? Hopefully this session of Command School has helped your decision on whether or not to get your hands on this ship. We'll include this review in the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO225. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See? Admirals, we're at the part of the show when we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Last week's community question was, now that the featured episode has been released, what are your thoughts on the next chapter in the Iconian War? Shemrocksky wrote on PriorityOnePodcast.com, OMG, I literally started to cry during the intro, and again at the end for different reasons. Raises glass to absent friends condolences to Airborne's family and friends. I will sorely miss Elijah and Cookie. I hope the new hosts can continue the positive atmosphere of the show that both of you have brought. The best part was I felt when listening to P1, you guys were all great friends and I got to be part of it. XOXO to both of you. You guys are irreplaceable. Thanks, Shem. Yeah, the truth is they're not friends. They absolutely hate each other. Yeah, we just have a really good acting ability. Yeah, really, really great acting. Mark Hayes from PriorityOnePodcast.com. I haven't listened to this episode yet. What is wrong with you? Get to it. But I can't help to respond early on Bordicus's comment on the 30-plus minute podcast tweets. I usually listen to you guys in my car, an hour-long ride, or while playing STO in the wee hours. I really love Priority One because you guys don't just jabber, but have some interesting to tell for 60 to 90 minutes. Don't change that. The Captain Gecko interviews usually last for 45 minutes, even cut in half, and those are a treasure trove of background info that is really useful on a practical level. To those that think 30 minutes is too long, you can always pause or listen to the rest later, smiley face. Oh, and hi to Cam and Kenna. Hi. Hi. Now it's now it's official. I'm looking forward to your contributions. Okay, off to work and pushing play for episode 224. Good on you, man. Good on you. And we don't want to give uh, Bordicus too much flack. I'm sure he was not uh, referring to Priority One specifically, but we enjoy hassling our friends at Cryptic Studios whenever possible. Sean Newboy on PriorityOnePodcast.com said, Best director's cut yet. Special thanks to Elijah Cookie. Not sure if the space belongs there. A very enjoyable episode, everyone. For the community question, It was okay, I just have a few nitpicks on it. Why did we fail? We used up a bunch on the big generator and could have used the controls to blow it up. The other two generators were primed to blow up. Don't even start me up about the plot cloak. Bottom line, we learned that if you hit them with Omega Energy, go berserk and just shred them. My biggest problem with this FE series is that it seems way too fast. Yeah, some folks complained about the cloak that this, while this was billed as a little bit of a KDF-focused featured episode, it's still 
sort of gave the impression that it was written as if you were going to be primarily a Federation player yep. because it they had to share the cloaking device with you and they had to explain what kelecams were and kilometers and that sort of thing. Um, plus not being able to smack down uh, Trivana for calling you a patak. But like he said, nitpicks. Well, the thing is, the um, in STO canon, the, uh, the Klingons do have a shared cloak. Which is the honor guard set or the adapted mako set uh, if i remember correctly the three piece has an activated power that has an area of effect cloak if i remember correctly hmm. you might be right about that but the the general idea is it's is that they didn't specify that it was something better or more powerful than a normal cloaking device they just sort of assumed that your ship couldn't cloak hmm. if they had said like oh we have a enhanced intel cloak that will work better against the heralds something like that, maybe that would have made more sense. That's true, because if I remember correctly, the Voth were able to see through cloaks and the Undyne might have had the same ability. That's possible. So that might have been sort of an unspoken understanding. Maytok, 1971, from PriorityOnePodcast.com said, Deeply saddened about the news of Airborne. As a fleet mate, he will be missed. He was not above telling you how he felt, good or bad. He was always willing to help you out the best he could. Godspeed to Airborne on his newest journey. Stands in silence and remembers friends lost but not forgotten. Thanks, Maytok. Jake Cobb from PriorityOnePodcast.com. A really, really great show. It's unfortunate that it was saddened by the loss of Priority One staple Airborne, but the tribute was beautiful, heartfelt and honest. A perfect farewell to a huge part of the Priority One team. Show-wise, it was such a dichotomy. On one hand, it was the most entertaining episode in months. This isn't sliding previous episodes. The show is always top-notch. Just that this set a new bar. It was a lot of fun to listen to, really knocked out of the park. There's also a lot of excitement about the new additions. The dynamic is very different, but the chemistry is very real. And I can't wait to see what these three will do together. But on the other hand, it's tough saying until next time to such a great pair. What else can be said about Cookie and Elijah that hasn't been said already? But let's also not forget about the departure of Ben Churchill. He brought the audio editing to a whole new level. His work was often unsung among the general listeners, but it was masterful. As with Cam and Kenna, I have no doubt that Winters will produce to the quality previously set, but continue to raise the bar. To Priority One, the best damn podcast around. Here, here. It was pretty sad to say goodbye to a lot of people last week, but um, I guess here's to a new era and moving forward. Agreed. Bergen said on the STO forum, Good show, as always. I was listening while driving, almost drove off the road with laughter during the prelude when Elijah called out, Where are all my bridge officers? Was a pretty good moment, I have to admit. And fit well with people leaving the show. I, too, was surprised to hear that Cookie was leaving. I was preparing myself for Elijah's departure, but Cookie? I guess since you're both hosting the new show, it makes sense, but I totally missed that fact. Good luck to you both. I'm sure I'll give the new show a listen. I'm glad to see you bring back the official thread here in the forums. 
I thought it seemed a bit odd for a podcast that does its best to serve and represent the STO community not to have an intentional presence in the forums for the community. I disagree with Elijah's viewpoint that online forums are a dying format, but recognize the troubles that arise with threads such as this. Anyways, thanks for bringing the P1 presence back to the STO forums. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One, or shoot an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 225 of Priority One Podcast. But before we do, it's time to thank a few of our patrons. Isaiah Dorsch, Lee Malian, Jeffrey Miracle, Steve Humphrey, and Navy Boat Slough. And we thank the awesome Patreon supporters that help bring you this show each week. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comment section on our site on our Facebook page, or with a Twitter reply. This week's question for you listeners. Have any of you gotten your hands on the ship early? What are your thoughts? Even if you haven't, what are your opinions about this week's ship review and the ship in general? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO225. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like or check us out on twitter via at sto priority one you can even join the priority one podcast chat in game just type forward slash channel underscore join space priority one and don't forget to tune in to priority one productions guard frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle, and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. And now, you can join our Klingon fleet division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to join. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast for their ongoing, dedicated, and consistent contributions over the years, including our audio engineer, Michael McDonald, with audio assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L, to the writer of our prelude dramas and foundry reviewer, Jake Morgan, to our video editor, Jerry Tillman to Chris Trone, our social media manager, and to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Holosuite Media for supporting the show. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the STO community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready phasers. Engage.
Transfer complete. Uh, why? <laughs> the premier Star Trek Online podcast. Uh, <laughs> now he's going to make you do the intro every time now because of that. <laughs> All your messages. So chat was a ch- 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 Facebook.com forward slash slash. slash yeah. Come on, Cam. I can do it. You can, I can do, do it. it. You, we believe in you. I can do it. I can do it. This week's question for you listeners have you gotten. Blah, blah, blah. And to some guy for doing a bunch of other shillelagh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting trolled. We start this week's Stone News coverage with the La Luna Festival. It is upon... That was weird, sorry. There needs to be a full stop. Hang on. <laughs> oh, exclamation points! Even better! <laughs> okay. Whew. Yeah, okay, calm it down. We all live souvenirs, so players of Loof all... Souvenirs. Loof souvenirs? We live souvenirs. <laughs> Don't you live souvenirs? <laughs> I live them. Okay. I have souvenirs from the Louvre. Does that count? Right. Okay, stop. Ah. Right. For Romulans, that means an extra superior superior For Romulans, that means an extra superior superior why can't I say that word? Super duper <laughs> Romulan officer. <laughs> Each week our social media challenge challenges sorry. <laughs> it's late. Challenge accepted. Wait, we can admit it. They're a oh challenge. <laughs> Did I totally stumble over that? <laughs> no, okay, you're fine. Okay. Other than challenges, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Oh God, so- <laughs> we have a- we have a number of social media challenges. <laughs> We're working on it. We're all stumbling Socially. today. <laughs> Socially challenged. Yeah.